This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran, giving you eternal answers to challenging questions and providing reasons for faith in Christ. What happens after death? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with apologist, scholar, author, and speaker, Pat Zucharin. And we have resources that relate to this area and many more, answering the toughest questions in life when you go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Heaven and hell. Is hell a real place? Many deny the existence of hell. C.S. Lewis says that there's not much of a way to make hell more tolerable. Hell tends to be intolerable in the minds of many people. Kevin Harris in with Pat Zucaran. Pat, we're going to be talking about heaven and hell. What a, what a topic, huh? Yeah, those are two very important topics. What happens in eternity affects how we live today. And there are a lot of misconceptions about, you know, what what is heaven like? What is hell like? Some picture heaven where we'll be playing harps and floating on clouds or playing golf all day. And yeah. some picture hell being a place where demons are running around with, with pitchforks tormenting people. You know, those are some common misperceptions that we have. If we truly understood, and especially the implications of heaven and hell, it would really affect the way we live today, especially in the area of evangelism. There's a lot of uh, uh, caricatures in the media in particular and in literature uh, that are, are so inaccurate. Huh? People people get the wrong idea. Britney Spears even says that she thinks that we're going to be floating around on clouds in the afterlife. I mean, she said that. Um, and, uh, you know, so th- there are a lot of character, a lot of uh, what I would call hillbilly theology out there. Right. And, you know, one of the interesting things is that Jesus speaks more about hell than of heaven. You know, so it is a real place. And it's an issue that uh, we need to deal with and because so many people deny the existence of hell you know it's one of the doctrines that we need to defend uh, as Christians well many deny the existence of hell is is hell a real place well Jesus and the Apostles certainly spoke of it as a real place you know Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28 do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So if we deny the existence of hell, we deny a major portion of Jesus' teaching. You know, either he was lying or he was mistaken, and therefore he he cannot be God. But we know that he is God incarnate, and the words that he said were true. And therefore, uh, hell, he talked about as being a real place, is indeed a real place. The apostles also talk about it in their epistles, and so it's indeed a real place. You know, in high school it was interesting. Our priest taught us that there's no such thing as hell, Hmm. and uh, that's an issue that I struggled with and that many people struggle with, but as I read the Gospels, there was so much that Jesus mentioned about hell that we either must deny his teachings or accept it as a real place. Do you remember any of his arguments for why he said there there wasn't a, a hell? Well, the major argument is that God is love. There's God, no way God could send someone to hell. Right. Yeah. And how could a loving God torment and torture people for all eternity in hell? That just went against his concept of who God was. And 
really a misconception of what hell is. We're going to get into that here in just a moment. And uh, but, but, but let's go there. Let's talk a little bit about what hell is is like. Uh, the Bible, I guess, makes uh, many descriptions. Right. And probably the most succinct descriptions comes from Matthew twenty five forty one and Second Thessalonians chapter one verse nine. But in Matthew twenty five, here's the judgment and of the sheep and the goats. And Jesus says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And then uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. And so hell is described primarily here in relational terms. It is a place away from God. Therefore, it is a place of separation from love and, and fellowship and really anything of of real value and you know it was not part of the created order uh, you know that God said it was good it was uh, created because of the abuse of freedom from Satan and the angelic host and so it was not part of the original created order that God said it was good um, it's away from the type of life we're always meant to have and therefore it's a place of sorrow and a place of anguish and regret, not because you're being tormented uh, by God, but because you're totally separated from everything that God is and everything that's really meaningful. So the pain and sorrow and anguish that those in hell feel comes from knowing that the punishment is final, it's ultimate, it's an ending, it's separation from all that really is of, of value. <laughs> Most of the descriptions of hell tend to show torment rather than torture. Torture tends to be from without. Torment tends to be from within. And most of the descriptions, the vast majority of the descriptions in, in the Bible of hell, tend to go toward this internal torment, this regret, this sorrow. Right. You find those who have committed some kind of serious sin, and have not dealt with it properly, whether they're in prison or they're not, they're in torment. They're in anguish from within, you know, committing sin and knowing that it has not been dealt with. You just see them in tremendous anguish and a torment that comes from what they have chosen to do. Wow. You know, there is a resurgence of a view uh, that's actually very, very old. I mean, people throughout church history have tried to to hold to a view called universalism, Pat, but it's never been held as orthodox, and there's kind of a resurgence on it, I've noticed lately, uh, on the Internet and in the, in the media. And universalism says that uh, eventually all will be saved, even Satan himself, that there may be a temporary punishment in hell, but eventually... Because of Christ's work, uh, all will be, will be redeemed. 
Most people, I think, hold this because they just cannot tolerate the concept of hell. And probably the idea of hell that they have is from some of the caricatures we've been talking about. Right, and uh, Jesus' teaching goes against the universalism. You know, John fourteen six, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus made an exclusive claim. Uh, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the verse after that, you know, says that he who does not believe in the Son is condemned already. Yeah, you know, in this verse that you gave a moment ago, Second Thessalonians 1.9, uh, it literally says everlasting destruction. So it's not a temporary thing. Right, and in Revelation 20, he talks about the dead being raised and then thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. And so it's an eternal punishment there that is occurring. Pat, have you speculated much? Do you? Uh, I think that some of the more intriguing or distasteful elements of hell probably focus on the wrong thing because it is separation, like you said. It is sorrow, like you said. It is uh, all of the things that you were talking about there. But uh, we tend to focus on the physical pain. We think that it's going to be a place of physical pain. Do you think there will be physical pain there? Yeah, because there is the resurrection of the body that unites with the soul. Therefore, there is not only mental anguish, but also uh, physical pain that is felt, you know, as a result of that. And so you have both because uh, the soul exists for eternity, but also with the resurrection of the body. And so you've got both mental and physical pain there. Wow. And probably the physical pain. I mean, we can only imagine what it would be like to be in a place separated from God who sustains all things. And it seems to be a place of, uh, of chaos and uh, you don't want to be there physically. You know? right, right. You know, and it's giving man what he has chosen. You know, he's chosen to be, he reject God's offer of eternal life here in this earth and he could not stand being in the presence of God here on this earth. And he, eternal life is, you know, a heightened experience of what uh, we really want. And so if we really do not want to be with God or in his presence here in this life, well, it'd be torture to put someone like that in the presence of God for all eternity. And so hell is a place where they are separated and given what they want. We're going to jump into that a little bit later, this idea of universalism and annihilationism. That is, people don't live forever in hell or conscious forever. They are annihilated and snuffed out of existence. And um, uh, you, you will run into that from time to time. But let's talk about the idea of purgatory, Pat. Uh, what is that idea? Well, purgatory appears in the Catholic doctrine that really that's a place. It's actually really a good place. Uh, it's a place where you, it's an intermediate place where you are purged of your sins. You are doing some kind of arduous, difficult labor. Community and, service. <laughs> right, right. A place where you're purged and you pay for your sins before you go to heaven. So though the experience is not very pleasant, it's actually kind of a good place because you're being purified and purged of sin. The problem is, is that uh, it's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. Jesus doesn't talk of purgatory, nor do the apostles. Protestants and, don't tend to, to hold to this view, do they? Right. 
And the only place you could really have any kind of backing for that comes from the Apocrypha, uh, which is not part of the inspired canon. And uh, I think 2nd Maccabees talks about purgatory, but that's really the only place that it's mentioned. It's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. And uh, when Jesus and the apostles talk about what happens after judgment, you're either eternally with God or eternally separated from him. There's no intermediate place. And it still kind of denies the atonement of Christ, doesn't it? In that you have to atone for your own sins in purgatory, and therefore uh, the blood of Christ on the cross wasn't sufficient. I mean, that's what, it, or, or efficient, that's, that's what it seems to mean. Right, and, you know, it contradicts uh, Hebrews 9.27, you know, for he's appointed for each man and woman to die once and then the judgment. You know, Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus were immediately taken to heaven or hell, and so it would contradict those passages. We're going to talk some more about annihilationism and how can a loving God send people to hell with evidence and answers. And Pat, believe it or not, we are going to get a little bit to heaven, so don't run for the Prozac. I know a lot of people are, are <laughs> uh, hell is a depressing uh-huh. topic, but we are going to get to the good news here. Let's go to that for just a little bit. We talked about uh, universalism which is also called universal reconciliation. That is a view that all people will be saved eventually, even the devil himself. And maybe some people will spend a a certain amount of time in hell, but then God's going to get them out of there and everyone is going to to heaven eventually. And that is just totally contrary to what Christ taught and what the apostles taught. But there's also another view that's that's similar, Pat, and that is that uh, unbelievers are eventually annihilated. In other words, they are just snuffed out of existence in hell. And that is a teaching that's more popular nowadays, even among evangelical scholars. You know, there's some very prominent evangelical scholars who teach that. And I appreciate uh, their understanding of just how terrible hell is. And, you know, these men have studied it and really they've come to this conclusion just because they understand uh, just really how terrible it is. And so annihilation... Uh, for them is a much uh, more comforting kind of position. But Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, he says, of the unrighteous, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so the punishment he's talking about is eternal. And he couples that with the contrast, but the righteous to eternal life. Yeah, the same Greek word is used there. If it's not eternal in hell, then it's not eternal in heaven, because the same word is used of believers in heaven as unbelievers in hell. The same duration, eternal. Right, and in Revelation chapter 20, John is recording that uh, the beast and Satan and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire, where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then he talks about the resurrection of the unrighteous who are also thrown into the lake of fire as well. And so it appears very strong in scripture that the punishment is eternal and they're in a conscious state of torment and therefore we can't really build a case for annihilationism. Well, how can a loving God send people to hell for all eternity? You know, hell is uh, fulfills the justice of God and also respects the full dignity of man. Hell is a heightened experience of really what uh, man has really chosen. If they can't stand to be in the presence of God here on earth or amongst his people, 
it'd be torture for them to be in the very presence of God for all eternity. Actually, the boyfriend of a friend that we have, and whenever he is around us, you know, the people of God, he just makes that really sour face that your mom tells you not to make, or, you know, it's going to stay in that position. <laughs> he just hates being around Christians mm, and mm. Uh, hates being in any kind of church, so much so he doesn't even want his wedding uh, in any kind of church. Wow. Uh, that's how much you know he resents being around the people of God and to put people who don't want to be in the presence of God or in the presence of his people for all eternity in the presence of God and in the presence of his people for all eternity. Uh, you know, that goes against uh, you know their dignity, their sin has not been atoned for, and therefore, you know, God being a holy God cannot have sin in his presence. They've rejected the gift of eternal life, and so they are quarantined uh, in hell, separated from God, what they have always wanted. Well, C.S. Lewis says, in the end, there are only two people, two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Right. God uh, treats the choices of people as significant you know, and allows them to choose for him or against him. He's a gentleman. He's not a divine rapist. He won't force you to be with him for all eternity. If you don't want to be there, uh, he allows you the freedom, and he really respects the dignity of man to choose to be separated from him for all eternity. That separation is a horrible thing. It's a spiritual chaos, and it's a place prepared for the devil and his angels, not for man, but... Uh, that's where you go if you reject Christ, if you reject God's offer. Right, and it was created um, not out of necessity, but the abuse of free will. Satan and the angels chose freely to rebel against God, and so this place, place of quarantine away from God was created for them, and man in his freedom, has cho many have chosen to be away from God, and so they, they are quarantined in hell as well. Pat, let me throw you a curveball. I haven't done much study on this. I've done a little, and I know a little about it. But do you think that there may be levels of hell? Yeah. That will be worse on some people than it will be on others? Yeah. In Matthew uh, chapter 11, uh, Jesus is talking about the judgment that falls upon several cities. And uh, he says in verse uh, 21 through 24, he says, uh, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles were performed in you, had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would, have been they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. So Jesus talks about it being more bearable. So there are degrees of punishment uh, in hell, just as there are different degrees of reward in heaven. There are different degrees of punishment uh, in hell. Uh, Luke chapter 12 talks about uh, servants receiving different kind of punishment and as well. So there are different degrees Some will have a few, a few stripes and some will have many stripes. Right. You know? So actually... Uh, it, it, that's just kind of an analogy Christ is using. He's not saying, I don't think that you're being literally beaten, but he's mm -hmm. saying in the same way, a lot of, uh, in the time, uh, some servants are punished worse than others due to various offenses. Uh, this is the kind of a parallel as to the way it'll be. Right. And 
uh, you see that uh, 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 microcosm of it here on this earth. You know, those who have committed much more severe crimes, you know, they're put into isolation and their torment is a lot more severe than those who have committed more white-collar, lesser kind of crimes. And it's really a punishment they've brought on them, themselves, you know, to have to live with the fact that you've done some horrendous kind of murder or torture of others. You know, that's that makes it a whole lot worse, your imprisonment, than those who've committed more of a minor kind of crime. I want to um, uh, invite everyone to stay tuned to this program and get the resources available from Pat and Evidence and Answers from Probe.org because... Uh, very soon, we're going to be talking about near-death experiences and also several hit TV shows of men communicating with the dead. What about all that? We're going to be talking about that very soon. Pat, uh, back to heaven and hell. Isn't everlasting punishment an unjust sentence for a brief life of sin? I mean, does the punishment fit the crime? Yeah, you know, that's that's an argument a lot of people try to throw, but time really has nothing to do with the degree of punishment. You know, for example, a murderer, you know, kills very quickly. It can happen just in a matter of a few seconds, but they get a longer sentence than a man who is guilty of, say, counterfeiting. Counterfeiting takes months, maybe years uh, to produce these fake currencies, but the sentence of a murderer will be much longer than one of a counterfeiter. And so really time has nothing to do with uh, the length of the sentence. Hmm. And, you know, men and women have their time here on this earth to accept the gift of God's grace of eternal life through his son and to knowingly, you know, reject it. Uh, that is, you know, Jesus said uh, all sins can be pardoned except for, you know, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is really rejecting uh, the work of Jesus Christ. And really to reject that gift of eternal life in, before a holy God who has offered it to you in, in many ways and try to communicate that message to you, to freely reject that, you know, that's the unpardonable sin. Pat, I have a personal belief that uh, a person has to jump every roadblock, has to jump every hurdle that God puts on their path to hell, and they have to jump every one of them to get there. That, right. I, 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 that's what I think. Right. There, there's no person out there who's really, really looking for God who will never find him. Right. You know, God says he is, he'll, he will be found by those who earnestly seek him. And so if someone's really looking for God, God will, God will uh, show himself to that person. We have the amazing opportunity to be used of God to bring people to Christ. And uh, I think we ought to take advantage of that opportunity. Right, you know, and if we really understood hell for what it is, if we really had a good understanding of what it is, that would really transform the evangelism in our churches. We have about a minute and a half, Pat. Let's talk about heaven. What is heaven like, our eternal home? Well, heaven, you know, we're going to see Jesus face to face. Revelation 19 It's what the saints of all the ages have been looking forward to. And there we're also going to worship him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about rest, you know. Uh, not that we're not going to do anything, but rest from struggles, rest from the flesh, rest from sin, from the world, from sickness, and from our battle with Satan. By the way, the New Testament says that there is no rest in hell. Right. And that is a, a sense of, uh, that also eliminates annihilationism. But go ahead with heaven. 
Yeah, and there's a place we're also going to serve the Lord, Luke chapter 19, and a place where we'll have fellowship not only with God, but with one another for all eternity, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And that's why Paul says, you know, forever we'll be with the Lord, and therefore encourage one another with these words. You know, what greater comfort can we have at a funeral than knowing that we're going to be together someday for all eternity? We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. There's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just $2.50. On our website, evidenceandanswers.org, just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want, and we've got some of the top scholars on there. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org.